Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, as you might be aware, earlier this morning, there was some news that dropped as it relates to transfer wide receiver Ra Ra Thomas. We'll talk more about this here in a moment. There may not be much that I can say about this, but we will at least talk about that coming up in a moment. What do you say, though, before we get there, we do something a little happier, a little bit more enjoyable? And this is something we had time to digest a little bit on Friday, and I hope you saw the video where we did this, but Georgia got the news that Cedric Von Prahn Granger, uh, one of its most important leaders for this past season, will remain in that role here in 2023. He is coming back again to uh, help lead this Georgia offensive line. Now, this is massive for Georgia in a number of areas. Thing number one, if SVP wasn't going to be here, then you're talking about a offensive line for Georgia next season that's got as many question marks as probably at any point in time in the Kirby Smart era, likely changing over both, actually changing over for sure, both of your offensive tackles. And Marius Mims is a guy that, you know, certainly got starting experience for you at the end of the season, but expanded role for him, maybe even slotting over to the left side. I guess it's at least a possibility. A guy like Ernest Green, who you think is likely to be next in line to start, and you think he's uh, certainly a phenomenal prospect to be able to do that, but he's you know, a young, inexperienced starter. The thing you would have also added a brand new center with kind of a little bit of a mystery about who that might even be. Uh, the, the idea that you might introduce a brand new center into all of that would have just led to a lot of questioning about exactly what Georgia might have with its offensive line. And with SVP coming back, boom, that question for the most part is erased. All of a sudden, the overall situation with the offensive line just seems a lot more stable because SVP makes the decision that he makes. I think he also provides stability to the quarterback battle there as well. This is something that I had mentioned on Friday, that if you know you're breaking a new quarterback, whether it be Carson Beck or maybe one of these other young guys kind of uh, you know ends up winning that competition, whether it's Beck or somebody else, the role of stepping into and becoming a confident quarterback, a quarterback that's able to just sort of go out there and just sort of do the job. When you've got that reliable center in front of you, I think that makes the job of that quarterback so much sort of easier and and, and better there as well. That SVP uh, just really impacts George in so many positive ways. Now, there's also the issue here of what George has been through over the course of the last couple of weeks with obviously the uh, the horrible accident that took place a couple of uh, weekends ago. And, you know, we know that George is going to have a lot to lead through this upcoming year because of that. And uh, Van Prahn's presence on this team to kind of do that, too, will also be very valuable as well. But even if you just sort of keep this to the boundary of football for a moment, there is obviously a lot that Cedric Von Prahn Granger provides Georgia. But I want to zero in here for a moment on something else. And in a roundabout way, the SVP news kind of gives me a chance to talk about something I've wanted to talk about for quite some time anyway, which is that Van Prahn coming back allows Georgia, I think, to kind of maintain a little bit of an edge that it sort of seemed to have about itself in 2022. And all of a sudden now coming back in 2023, I think it can maintain some version of this edge uh, a little bit. And I think that Van Prahn's a very interesting character on this because we know that one of the things that kind of bothered George after the 2021 season was, 
is that its offensive line didn't win the Joe Moore Award. The Joe Moore Award is the award that goes out to the nation's best offensive line. George was in consideration for it and ultimately was won by Michigan. And we heard that uh, over the course of the season, uh, or at least heading into this season, that was something that George was going to use as a source of motivation. In fact, one of the guys who told us about that was Cedric Von Prime Granger himself. Let's go back to the spring here for a moment when uh, Cedric Von Prime talked about the fact that for this offensive line coming into the 2022 season, that was their mission. They wanted to prove that they were the best offensive line in the country. They wanted to kind of leave no doubt that was the case. I thought Van Prime's words back in the spring on that were pretty forceful. Let's go back in time to hear them. I'll say this. We definitely want to honor the guys that came last year, but honestly, this is a new group, and we feel slighted because we, let me, let me rephrase that, not slighted, slighted is the right word. We just you want to use it as motivation that we didn't win the Joe Moore last year, so we want to be the best group possible. So, I mean, that was Senator Von Prahn Granger making it pretty clear back in the spring. They wanted to make it very clear that they wanted to be the Joe Moore Award because they wanted to obviously be the nation's best offensive line. They were bothered by the fact they didn't win that in 2021. They wanted to make that kind of their mission for 2022. That's how they wanted to be thought of, and you know how it all worked out. Georgia was a finalist for that once again, but lo and behold, the Michigan Wolverines won the Joe Moore Award again, and it's not my place to sort of denigrate Michigan or talk about what they were as an offensive line. I think the results sort of speak for themselves on that. And that was kind of the point that some of the uh, the Georgia guys sort of had at the national championship game. I thought that uh, you know, there's a great picture of Xavier Truss, uh, you know, kind of celebrating after that game. And I think ESPN kind of shared it. And let me just show you this on the screen. I think we have this to kind of show you here uh, of the uh, Georgia offensive lineman, you know, Trust kind of uh, putting it out there, retweeting basically the Joe Moore Award about 65 to 7, the national championship game. Then Cedric Von Prong Granger retweeted that. The point here is, is that the edge this team had about not winning the Joe Moore Award in 2021 clearly propelled them in 2022. They probably should have won it this year. They may have should have won it in, in each of the last two years, but they didn't. And all of a sudden, by having a guy like Van Prong Granger, who was so clear about wanting to do this and still sort of edgy about it uh, after this season was done, when you see how dominant the offensive line was in the national championship, obviously one of the main reasons that Georgia won that game as easily as it did was because of how dominant it was in those you know kind of line of scrimmage situations there. When you understand all of that, uh, I think it's kind of nice to know that now Georgia can kind of bring that edge back with it here for 2023. And that's where it kind of gets me to something I've sort of wanted to talk about for, for a little bit of time anyway. Because if you kind of go back to one of the discussions that's kind of existed in the aftermath of the season, there's been this little bit of debate of, well, these Georgia players say they were doubted. Kirby Smart himself has even kind of alluded to this a little bit. These Georgia players say they were doubted. But were they really? I mean, some of the stuff that we've heard has clearly been kind of laughable, right? There were some, I guess, people in, in some of the Georgia guys in the immediate aftermath of the win against TCU that were saying something to the effect of people thought we were going to be six and six or seven and five or something like that. Well, that's clearly not true. I, I don't know that anyone of any you know note uh, thought that Georgia was going to be six and six or seven and five. So I'm not really quite so sure where that came from. But some people have stepped up to say, "Ah, oh, no, it's silly to say that Georgia was doubted. Georgia was never doubted at all." And listen, I'm here to tell you something. That is completely revisionist history. The idea that Georgia could not say that it was fueled by doubt. 
the idea that Georgia did not have some sort of extra motivation to want to win because maybe Georgia wasn't quite always getting the pats on the back that uh, national championship level teams are supposed to get. The idea that that wasn't out there for Georgia I think it's completely revisionist history. And in, in, in fact, uh, let me let, let me do this kind of set this conversation up. Stetson Bennett himself has sort of talked about this. You know, the, the notion that along the way, all of a sudden now, people sort of pretend like they always knew that George was going to be where it was, but maybe throughout the course of time, that wasn't necessarily always the case. Uh, here is Stetson kind of making the point that I want to make here is, is that deep down, this Georgia team sort of felt like, you know, somewhere along the way, uh, there were some uh, doubts to be used as fuel. This is what Stetson said about it. This is what we set out to do this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of people who doubted us, a lot of people who, um, you know, and I know people are going to be like, well, no, we didn't. Well, yeah, you did. Um, you know, maybe not doubted us as, as far as, you know, unranked doubted us, but it wasn't, there wasn't a consensus. Um, and it seems as if people have forgotten that storyline um, and forgotten what, what, what this team has done as a collective, you know, fought through that and heard all the doubters whenever, you know, we're talking about 15 – uh, draft picks lost to the draft and uh, you know a lot, lot of those guys over there on defense and even on offense heard that um, you know and so we, we went to work and we took it week by week and now we're here so um, I think I think that's really special. Everything that Stetson Bennett says there is 100% true and this happens all the time in sports. Here's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to sort of rewrite narratives after the fact to make everything seem more certain than it always was. This is just not only true for George. This is true for you know a, you know a lot of things over the course of time. This is one of those things that that, that can be true. That all of a sudden, when George is in the midst of winning a national championship, sixty-five to seven, the assumption is, well, of course they were always going to do that. No one ever thought thought otherwise. But Stetson tells you there. Well, you remember the whole thing about 15 draft picks and Georgia would be lucky to win the SEZEs because they all lost 15 draft picks? Like, that was out there at one point in time. Or the Joe Moore Awards, assuming, you know, for two years in a row that a team other than Georgia has the best offensive line. Think about a guy like, you know, Todd Munkin, who's obviously, you know, been great as Georgia's offensive coordinator, but there have been other uh, assistant coaches who've been honored as the Broyles Award for somehow running a better offense than what Munkin has run here. Or, you know, you can go on and on and sort of, you know, sort of point to specific things where, yeah, I mean, Georgia's the number one team, and yeah, you know, Georgia's the point spread favorite. But along the way, I mean, you've had a guy like Lad McConkey being ripped by anonymous coaches. You had uh, Georgia, you know, the, the, the entirety of this defense being ripped prior to the Tennessee game. Remember that? Remember that? Uh, back in November, the idea that, uh, that Georgia might give up 50 points to Tennessee, and you had, what, Chris Doring on the SEC Network prior to the season again, predicting Georgia to lose Kentucky. You had uh, uh, Takeo Spikes before the season beginning, uh, predicting Georgia losing to South Carolina. Uh, we could go back and play all of this. What Jordan Rogers said about Georgia having no playmakers. We could go back and add up all of the analysts over the course of the year who've said all the things about Georgia. And I think that you would be left to conclude this isn't the kind of thing you want to be hearing about the number one team in the country. This isn't the kind of thing you want to be hearing about the defending national champions. And I think to fully understand what Georgia did in 2022, I think you have to understand that part of this. This was a Georgia team this year that just played with a little bit of an edge about itself. This was a team that sort of had that little bit of extra motivation because they did feel just a little bit slighted. Now, whether this was, you know, an actual slight or just a perceived slight, I'm not even quite really sure, so sure that actually matters. This was a team that just didn't feel like it was getting the proper amount of respect and it went out there and didn't just earn it, it demanded the respect by how much it dominated every team that it played. And with Cedric Von Prahn Granger coming back for 2023, 
I think the same edge that drove Georgia in 2022, I think it has a chance to once again drive it there as well. Van Pratt in his own words saying, we wanted to be Joe Moore Award winners. We weren't. And uh, letting the Joe Moore Award know about it once Georgia dominated the national championship game. That level of leadership, that level of competitive fire, that's what you want in a football team. And uh, Van Pratt coming back for 2023 means Georgia has more of that for next season as well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video. We start 945 for our first and 15 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. We're 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, across all the video platforms. Uh, of course, on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref. I know we didn't have a radio show there on Friday, so for those of you who normally listen there via the radio, I apologize for that. We try to deliver that you know, every single day. We just couldn't quite do that on Friday. We didn't do a long enough show. Just, I just wasn't feeling good enough. So uh, we didn't have a radio show for you, but we're back to normal here today. And, of course, all across all podcast platforms as well, Apple, Spotify, everything else, uh, just happy to have you as a part of the program. And, man, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of George for making all of this possible there as well. You know, Pella, the name you know when it comes to energy-efficient windows and doors. And listen, such an important thing here this time of year because, like, today when I'm coming in, it's pretty cold, right? Uh, and if you're at home and you're cranking up that heat to stay warm when it's so cold outside, you don't want that heat escaping through poorly fitted windows or inefficient doors. You, 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 don't, you don't want that going on. You want that energy staying right inside your house where it's supposed to be. Because let's face it, those energy bills are expensive and you don't want to waste any of it. Well, properly fitted, uh, really efficient, uh, well-maintained and, 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 and uh, crafted doors like the ones from Pella Window and Door, that's going to keep all that nice, comfortable energy inside your house where it's supposed to be and all that cold weather stuff uh, outside the house where you want it to stay. So uh, homeowner survey after year after year after year in our area have really demonstrated that folks understand that that Pella window and door of Georgia really is the market leader. They really are viewed to be the best, as they say, and they've got great savings for you right now there as well, because between now and February 25th, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months, plus an extra year, uh, or I should say an extra $500 off your project. So it's a great way to save on a uh, product that you're going to love. In fact, if you want to learn more about it and really understand more about why the the Pella windows, the Pella doors are so you know well-respected and, and so uh, beloved, stop by and see them in their experience center in Duluth. Put your hands on the product, feel it, talk to one of those Pella experts. It's a no-pressure you know, con, you know, conversation. They're not going like, to push you towards something. They just want to explain to you what the product line is. They want to explain to you what your installation options might be, your financing options, all of those things, the special savings that I just told you about. They want to talk to you about that. Or if you can't be in Duluth to see them in person, you can also reach out online here, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Also, give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. I also want to go around the doghouse, uh, assisted today by our friends at AAA. And as I told you earlier, you know, this is not good news, uh, but it's a big enough story that you feel like you got to uh, talk about it here for a moment. It's obviously going to have some sort of ramifications here for Georgia, although at, at this point in time, this is still just sort of early days and sort of figuring this out. Uh, so Ra-Ra Thomas, a transfer wide receiver, this was, old, this was Mississippi State's leading receiver from a year ago, uh, who had announced his transfer to Georgia not too long ago. 
he has been arrested. I found that this out early this morning. I guess this happened at 4.04 a.m. this morning. So let me just read here the story from uh, Connor Riley here for a moment. So it's a uh, it's two charges facing Thomas here. It's a felony false imprisonment and a misdemeanor battery family violence charge. So certainly those are very serious sounding charges here. So it sounds like uh, Thomas is in quite a uh, serious situation here. Uh, booked at 4.04 a.m. this morning. And uh, so obviously this is one of three transfers that Georgia has brought in. And Thomas really just kind of sort of getting his time in Athens started and obviously uh, finding himself in a very serious situation. Obviously this becomes a challenging situation for Georgia to deal with. And you know, beyond that, I don't really know much else to say here on this other than this is not what you want to wake up to. This is not what you want to be dealing with. Certainly uh, for Thomas, for Georgia itself, so uh, by appearances here, a very serious situation. We'll let the legal process play out on this. We'll wait for more information to come out before we have more to say about it. Uh, but obviously, this is going to be a, a very, very serious situation uh, that's going to be forced to monitor, you know, monitor here. And um, we'll keep our eye on it. But obviously, bad news for Georgia for a transfer player coming in here. Uh, a couple of criminal charges facing him right now. And we'll be left to kind of figure out where it all goes uh, from there on that. So Rara Thomas arrested, transfer, wide receiver coming over from Mississippi State, facing a, a misdemeanor charge and a felony charge. And, uh, you know, more details, I guess, going to come on that in the uh, time to come. So that's the story on that. Before we're done today, uh, do want to give some more good news, too. I'll tell you more about that here coming up. But let me first of all remind you that was uh, around the doghouse. This is today by our friends at AAA. And obviously, AAA... A uh, great name to know when you're out traveling around and doing things like that. I always love to keep that AAA membership card right in my pocket. It uh, has certainly saved me plenty of money when it comes to hotel rooms over the years, but it's also kind of gotten me out of a little bit of a bind when I've uh, maybe been traveling and a little bit of a flat tire or something like that. Uh, but it's also a great resource for you when it comes to your insurance there as well. Uh, because when it comes to AAA and auto insurance, you know they've been doing auto insurance more than 100 years. And of course, that time, they have a 93% satisfaction rate. Now, if they're taking care of that many customers and leaving folks that satisfied, I think there's a really good chance they could do some great stuff for you there as well. So if you've known AAA is a great resource for roadside assistance and things like that over the years, uh, you, I think, want to maybe do it, uh, yourself a service and learn more about what they can do for you from an auto insurance standpoint there as well. So give them a call at 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075 to find a branch near you and find out all the ways the AAA can help you out when it comes to your auto insurance. So as I told you before, we're going to have some good news for you before uh, we are done the show today. Obviously, I think the expectation on the internet is is the uh, in-home visit for Georgia and five-star tight end Deuce Robinson going to take place uh, here today? Obviously heading towards that big decision to kick off the month of February and really bring the 2023 recruiting cycle to a close. Maybe an interesting connection that Georgia has with Robinson that might help explain why it seems like heading down the stretch here, Georgia is in such a good position, at least by appearances with Robinson, as uh, Jeff Sintel and I have talked about in this space in the uh, past, and Jeff's been writing about there at dognation.com. We'll cover that for you. There's also some very interesting news out there as it relates to one of Georgia's opponents for 2023. I want to make sure you're aware of that here, too, before we are all said and done. So we got plenty to talk about before the show is done. And, of course, on a Monday, always happy to have him there as well. It is John Stinchcomb, the great former Georgia All-American. He's our Dog Nation insider, and this is a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll bring on John Stinchcomb here, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Always glad to have John on the show, even when maybe uh, the news not all positive for Georgia here right now. John, there is obviously some good news. We'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, but prior to that, uh, reports out there this morning, including from our own Connor Riley at DogNation.com, Rara Thomas arrested early this morning, a couple of charges facing him. Uh, they sound serious. I don't know much more about that than that. I certainly know that you're not in a position to talk much more about it either, other than for us, I guess, both to acknowledge here that this is not, as a Georgia fan, what you want to wake up to in a morning like this, is it? No, and it's unfortunate because, you know, you, you're always excited about uh, adding to the fold and the fabric, and he's he's been a incredible football player and you're excited about the proposition of what he brings to the team but uh not knowing the details and uh hearing the the full story at this point i think it would be not wise to speak on it but um so i'll reserve the right to comment more once we get more information about it it, it, it is unfortunate though and yeah you look at folks at, at this age of life and uh it's not uncommon that you you have missteps and uh, some are worse than others. Yeah, John, I think that's all uh, really well said. I think that's kind of a good place to leave it. So let's move on to something that's a little bit happier here for right now. My gosh, Cedric Von Prine Granger coming back to this team for 2023. John, I don't know that you could have written a prescription for more of what uh, Georgia needs than something like this. His leadership is invaluable. His contribution to the field is as good as really, I think, anybody who's you know uh, kind of playing for these back-to-back national champions here. This is just a seismic decision, and obviously I know in the case of Van Prong Granger, you got to go into a lot of deliberation about you know truly what's best for you. I mean, selfishly, I think a lot of us were just sort of happy to hear it, but for him, he obviously had to think about his own concerns here. Uh, what was your reaction to a guy like this deciding to come back to Georgia? Well, it's excitement. Excitement for the program, excitement for him. I haven't watched him play this year. Good player. Uh, but there's opportunities for him to get even better, which I, I think is probably why he's coming back for twofold. You know, you've seen guys in the past that um, have committed to the team and, and recognize there's a unique opportunity. They want to be a part of it and build something special, even though their talent level could take them to the NFL at an earlier time. And they come back, and, and it pays off for both. I, I, there's You'd be hard-pressed to find a scenario where – uh, a guy with the talent level that Von Prahn Granger has where they come back and, and it doesn't pay off. I think he was looking at his draft status and saying, man, this is it's a good opportunity to leave, but it, it's probably a better opportunity to, to leave your mark, build something special here at the University of Georgia, and have more opportunity and be better prepared uh, when he finally does get to that NFL camp. And uh, you, you think back to the Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle era that when they came back, um, and and you think of Roquan and guys that that committed to come back and and the difference that they made, and I think that that bar has been set and the expectation for dogs um, and the reality of what that means for the program is is really really positive and. Um, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for the team because, man, without him and, and recognizing the other losses uh, that you've occur- occurred, incurred across the front, 
um, it was going to be a pretty daunting task to, to try to replace that many uh, key contributors across the front. And uh, with him returning, it's a huge anchor point that uh, certainly keeps that offensive line from being the biggest question mark heading into this 23 season. Well, that's one of the things that I said is, I mean, part of this is what the negative would be if it weren't the case, right? I mean, and listen, he had every right to go to the NFL, and uh, I'm certainly sure that he strongly considered that as an option. But if he did make that decision, if he did go to the NFL, then, John, you've probably got as many unanswered questions about an offensive line as Georgia has had at any point in time under Kirby Smart here. You probably – you just sort of probably have that. And – his decision to come back all of a sudden brings a level of stability that this offensive line otherwise wouldn't have. I mean, listen, I think Amarius Mims, whether you start him at right tackle or you start him at left tackle, I think he sets up to be one of the best players in the SEC next year. That's a very valuable commodity. You're very happy to have him. If Ernest Green kind of slides in as they started at offensive tackle the way you think he might, uh, that's about as good as most programs could ever hope for there as well. But it's still an inexperienced starter, a guy that's, very, a guy that's played very little, you know, to be able to add the stability of, well, here's Cedric Von Prahn now moving into another year of starting after all the starting experience that he's gained here. I mean, you've just added a level of stability this offensive line wouldn't have had by a long shot if he wasn't coming back. Yes, and, and let's also recognize the loss, you know, the loss of Devin Willis. That's right, that's um, right. It extends past the, uh, you know, uh, what's first and foremost is the loss of a life and how devastating that is. And, and and far down the list, but still relevant, is the impact that it has on the offensive line and the prospects of 23, because you'd feel a heck of a lot better if, if he were available. And obviously, you know, this pales in comparison to what's most important. And uh, I don't want to lose sight of that. Sure. With that said... Uh, with him not being available, with Warren Erickson moving on um, and both starting tackles declaring for the draft, that's a lot of contributors that could be a part of the equation that are not a part of the equation. And so to get Cedric back, it's, it's huge, and it brings a little more consistency. He knows what the standard is, uh, along with Mims, but – uh, has experienced it much more frequently. And in the center, uh, at that position specifically, it is there's a lot of uh, communication that occurs. And when you add new players, if you have that consistent voice that you aren't training in concert with other new faces, I think it lends itself to, to more success and easier transition. And um, guys can rely on his experience as they learn um, and and don't have to think quite as much. So I think it's a huge boost for that offensive front, and, and not only in the skill level and the personnel, but just the ability to onboard those that are going to be new to the program. How much does this help the quarterback transition to? I mean, center is obviously a very important position for quarterback. I, I would imagine that 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 kind of quarterback center relationship is just so vital. How much does this make, whether it be Carson Beck, one of the other guys, how much does it make their transition to a starting role easier knowing that you've got that stability up front in front of you as well? I, I think it's huge. And I think uh, part of it is 
there's so much processing that has to go on before the ball's even snapped. Identification of a defense, declaration of protections, getting everybody on the same page as to where we're going and where we're uh, where we're most vulnerable, whether it's pass or run. All those things usually happen in concert between the quarterback and the center. The center is usually the most vocal um, offensive player in, in, in making some of those decisions pre-snap. So knowing that you'll have a new quarterback who's, who's been a part of this system most likely at least a year, um, if not more, to have that voice that's been in the fire, that's been in those games, that can come up and quickly – uh, make those determinations I think will only help because the quarterback can then work through the litany of, of decisions he has to make before he even has the ball in his hands so it, it's huge I mean if there is a um, a player that you want returning if you're a first-time starting quarterback uh, across the front um, it would be the center I think if if you're looking to try to streamline the decision-making and identification of a defense and getting everybody on the same page. On the subject of Van Prun for a minute, let me also kind of ask you this, because I've been asked this myself, and I think that your opinion on this will matter. You know, when Stacey Searles was first hired, a lot of Georgia fans had questions about the hire. I had questions about the hire. Uh, I think you and I even had, you know, some, some conversation, you know, kind of related to like, okay, what does this mean for Georgia here right now? I think it was a surprising when, when Matt Luke stepped down, I think this Searles as the replacement was a little bit of a surprise to some people. Um, and yet it's been brought up to me. Well, now after a year on the job, you know, don't you have to look at Searles and say, hey, it has been a success. I, I guess, John, I would, I would ask you that question. You know, how much credit do you give to Searles for what the Georgia offensive line was able to do? Clearly a dominant unit. Uh, I think most would say probably the best in the country, probably should have won the Joe Moore Award. How much reconsidering of the Searles hire needs to happen here after the year this Georgia offensive line has just had? Sure. I, I think assist, uh, assistant coaches, positional coaches are assessed on two levels. One is, in primary, the performance of their unit on the field. And that includes the development of players. And when you look at, you know, Broderick Jones, Warren McClendon, you probably don't give a ton of credit to, to Coach Searles in, in their development. They were a little further along. Uh, they've had a, a lot of game experience. But uh, a guy like Tate Ratlich and uh, others, Cedric included. Uh, we spent some time there. They got better as the season went on. They've gotten better uh, this season. And secondly, for assistant positional coach, is their recruitment, their ability to bring in other talent. And, you know, with looking at guys that we were able to sign in December, that hasn't fallen off either. So, I think you're, it's not a complete evaluation. You can't say whether it was a great hire or not, but all the signs are very positive to me. It's a, it's a group that performed really well. There wasn't a lot of uh, mistakes. There wasn't a lot of mental errors where guys are roaming free and they don't understand, so the preparation was there. We see development of skills, and we're, we're seeing addition of new talent. So. Uh, all the signs, all the concerns that you'd have when replacing, uh, you know, Sam Pittman and Matt Luke, and, and you're inheriting a group that's talented, but also the bar has been set ex uh, so high in comparison to other position groups and other uh, 
offensive line coaching opportunities that he could have walked right into, the bar is set really high at Georgia, and I think he met, if not exceeded, in all the measurable categories up to this point. It's our uh, Marlowe's Tavern Insider update with John Stinchcomb here today. And, of course, you can't be what John is, a a Dog Nation insider, but you can be a Marlowe's Tavern insider, and you get great incentives for doing that. So make sure you check out more of this when you go to marlowstavern.com. And what you're going to find out is when you join the Insiders Club, you're going to get a big incentive just for joining. You're going to get $10 off. Uh, your $30 uh, purchase there at Marlowe's Tavern just for signing up for the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club. And after that, you uh, go for what are called qualified visits. And when you collect these qualified visits, that means anytime you spend $15 at a uh, Marlowe's Tavern uh, near you, that becomes a qualified visit for you. And when you get four of those qualified visits, you're going to get a complimentary entree that's worth up to $20 for your next visit. It's one of the ways they want to say thank you to you for doing the things you already love doing, which is enjoying the chef-inspired food and the craft cocktails with our friends there at Marlowe's Tavern. You even get great incentives for your birthday and things like that, too. So to join the Marlowe's Tavern Insiders Club, which is, by the way, free to join, to join the Marlowe's Tavern uh, Insiders Club, go to marlowestavern.com for more on that. marlowestavern.com for more on that. John, let me kind of finish with this here for a moment because we've obviously been kind of following the, the, the roster stuff here around Georgia the last couple of days, and We'll push the Ra Ra Thomas thing to the side for right now because we don't quite yet know how that impacts any of this. But when you think about what Georgia has added, uh, when you think about what Georgia's kind of lost via transfer, when you think about how who Georgia has seen now move on to the NFL draft, um, when you see you know the big decision for a guy like Cedric Von Prong Granger to stay here, how would you kind of I guess kind of finally assess here? What looks to be the makings of what this roster is going to be for for next season? I would say even in light of like the A.D. Mitchell news, which has, you know, obviously, uh, you know, provoked kind of a strong reaction among some Georgia fans. I would say overall that that Georgia's kind of handled this situation about as well as the team in its position was going to be able to uh, handle it. And obviously there's the additional issue of the terrible tragedy from last week. And it's hard to talk about regular football without thinking about that a little bit. But trying to keep this between the white lines as much as possible here for a moment I mean, when you've got a talented roster, you've got to, you're going to have guys either considering going to the NFL or considering, you know, you know, some uh, lucrative offer somewhere else or something like that. To me, it seems like George has handled all of this about as well as it could. Is that the sense that you also get? Yes, and I, uh, you hear Coach Smart talk about it that wide receiver and defensive back is, uh, especially in today's day and age of college football, those are tough to keep well stocked and uh, losing AD, it hurts. I mean, it's same thing, maybe even a, a little more than the Jermaine Burton loss last year. And that, you know, AD has proven himself time and time again to be that big playmaker that Georgia has needed in the big games. And, you know, he's, he's an exceptional talent and uh, you have to think that NIL was a, is a major factor and also some opportunities that are unique to him. And, um, it would be something in, in days gone by where you would question that decision and go, you know, where's your loyalty? And uh, there's some selfish aspect to that, too. It's like, man, I just want this playmaker here. And I think we're recognizing more and more, especially this time of year, how the landscape has changed. And college football is different. And uh, it would there's probably hurt feelings for all those uh, – that lose players that they know are going to be impactful for them and 
we'll be wearing a, a competitor's jersey when fall rolls around. But I think Georgia's managed it really well. I think they probably have a good sense of uh, who was going to leave and who was uh, at least going to probe the, the transfer portal before it even opens. And then recognizing and trying to supplement in places that they that they need as well. So you're you're measuring how much loss. You're looking at opportunities to fill your your roster, um, and you look at where Georgia stands now. Which, let's be honest, will change again before we get to to training camp. Uh, but you feel pretty confident that you've got a number of uh, veterans that you can trust, guys that have been in the program that. Uh, know what you're about and, and will retain and promote the identity that you're looking for and have been able to add pieces, not only uh, through the transfer portal, but more importantly, as George has proven, uh, through the recruitment of, of highly talented, skilled high school players that uh, now more and more are already on campus and are starting to be ingrained into the system and belief and uh, just overall operations of the organization. So I think I think they're poised really well, which is not surprising um, that that what they've proven to do, even after last year losing 30-plus guys to the transfer portal in the NFL, that they find ways to keep the cupboards more than stocked. Really quickly here before I let you go, if you don't mind, there's also been some debate about how Georgia fans ought to feel about Mitchell, just given the fact that, on the one hand, he's been a huge contributor to some of Georgia's biggest wins. On the other hand, he's now chosen to go play somewhere else. John, you're a major stakeholder in this program. How do you feel about A.D. Mitchell now? Yeah, I'm grateful for what he's brought to the University of Georgia. I want to start with gratitude sure. because I don't think you can take away the additions that he's made to Georgia just because of a decision he's made now. And it has changed. College football is different. The transfer portal, NIL deals, like them or not, they are here and they provide different opportunities than what were availed to every other college athlete that that came before this opportunity. And so to measure a person or a player um, by a standard that no longer exists I think is unfair. And um, – there are opportunities for student athletes to make life altering money. And you're talking about there are players that make seven figures and are student athletes in college. So the debate of whether they're amateurs and whether it's pay to play uh, no longer really matters. It is what it is. And the market has said, you know, look at a guy like Caleb Williams who goes out to USC and, you know, it's my understanding. I don't have anything in writing. This is all hearsay, but has made north of five million dollars to to win a Heisman and represent USC. Well, who's to say that that was a bad decision for him? That is generational money. And uh, for AD, there's probably opportunities that existed in Texas that may not have uh, matriculated for him here in Athens. And I think our collectives and our supporters have done a great job of not only retention but recruitment mm-hmm. for players. And whether or not, not you should phrase it that way, hey, listen, it is what it is. Sure. And the NCAA is, is grossly naive if they're not thinking that NIL deals are a factor when 
you're talking about retention and recruitment of players. And I think AD is uh, looking at those opportunities and is very probably grateful uh, for what Georgia has provided and, and sees a unique opportunity that Texas uh, poses for him that Georgia does not. And I don't know exactly what that is. I would be um, negligent to say that I know the ins and outs of every uh, reason why AD felt like that was a better decision for him. But you know, recognizing that the landscape is different, I can certainly understand why a player who has found success in one place might see a greater opportunity in others. John, I think that's so well said. I, I just really appreciate that. Always uh, your insight, very valuable to us. Thanks for your time on the show today. Uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again uh, very soon as well. Always enjoy it, B.A. Good dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Good stuff there from John on a uh, Marlowe's Tavern Insider update. Uh, we'll get ready to uh, go cruise around the SEC. We'll also bring that music down uh, a little bit if we don't mind. Can we bring that down? Uh, there you go. That sounds good. Thanks so much. So it's getting ready to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously excited about being on board Independence of the Seas and really understanding and recognizing here we are down to kind of our final days on that we can bring the music back up just a little bit uh but um really kind of getting down to our final days here of being able to be on board and uh being able to be a part of this so this is your last chance then literally see y'all got me laughing again now this is your last chance royaldogs.com that's the website royaldogs.com uh, you can also give Jessica Slater a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Here's how it's going to go down. April 24th through the 28th from Port Canaveral, getting on board Independence of the Seas. Port Canaveral's just right down the road from Orlando. It's an easy drive from where I live here in the Atlanta area. In fact, I drive every time I take a cruise there. That's really, that's the only port I really sail out of. Uh, drive down there, get get ready to get on board, uh, heading towards NASA on the Bahamas, heading towards that wonderful private island, perfect day, Coco Cay. Uh, we've got like a just a tiny, tiny, small handful of rooms left here, and we are getting ready to get, you know, basically sort of close them up and, and, and shut them down. So uh, this is your chance to be a part of that. So uh, give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, or visit royaldogs.com to find out more about the second-ever cruise with Dog Nation. One of the things that kind of gets me excited is the fact that, you know, last year on the final night of the cruise, it was our big NFL draft party, and the same thing's going to work out this time there as well. And, you know, last year was so perfect because as we're up there celebrating, you got five dogs taking the first round of the NFL draft. Well, you start looking ahead this year's first round, and you start to feel like, ooh, some of the same momentum is kind of building for uh, for Georgia, much like there was a year ago. Jalen Carter kind of getting that buzz near the top end of the draft. Uh as that's just like Trayvon Walker was around this time a year ago. Uh, uh, you know, you start thinking about, you know, Broderick Jones moving a, a lot of draft boards, and all, all of a sudden, uh, a conversation around Georgia players here in the uh, first round here is uh, almost just as much fun as it was a year ago. So, that final night going to be a great time, and we just can't wait to see you on board for that. And by the way, uh, also a great time to start thinking about some of your other uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacations there as well. If you think about spring break or you're thinking about summertime, uh, you think about you know week long get some getaways or the three or four day variety. Uh, you got all of that here um, to look forward to in 2023, and Jessica Slater can help you out with all of that. So let's talk about a couple of uh, crews around the SEC news and notes here just for a moment. Uh, we were just talking about AD Mitchell with John Stinchcomb. 
Mitchell made it official over the weekend, as expected, as the smart folks always like to say, uh, that he is indeed going to Texas. Now, John also made mention a moment ago the comparison between Mitchell and Jermaine Burton from a year ago. And I got to tell you, as I mentioned to you on the show the other day, I just feel completely different about the Mitchell situation than I did about a, the Burton situation a year ago. And listen, maybe both maybe both guys thought they were doing right for themselves, Mitchell this year, Burton a year ago, and maybe that's all that should matter. I'm not saying it shouldn't. I'm just saying in terms of my own personal read on the situation, when Jermaine Burton, after losing to Alabama in the national championship game, went to play for Alabama, I didn't like that. And I didn't pretend otherwise there on that because – the one thing that you knew was is that Burton's decision to leave Georgia to go play for Alabama was going to be one of those kinds of things that got used against Georgia a little bit of, oh, yeah, Georgia, you may have won the national championship. It was just a fluke, but you may have won the national championship, but you still can't cultivate wide receivers. You still can't make these guys into stars. You still can't do that. That was going to be used against Georgia. Burton essentially became a weapon, a tool to be whacked over the head of the Georgia program because of this thought that Georgia couldn't do anything with wide receivers. And so I think the just the sort of competitive fire kind of burning against Burton, if you're a Georgia fan, I think that sort of made some sense. Now, hopefully nobody said anything nasty or personal or anything like that. Uh, you know, But the idea that you're going to be happy for Jermaine Burton going and playing for Alabama, I would say most Georgia fans would say, no, I, I can't really do that. In the case of Mitchell going to Texas, I don't think you have to love the situation. As I said the other day, I'm not necessarily rooting for A.D. Mitchell now playing for Texas, but I feel completely different about Mitchell at Texas than I did about Burton in Alabama a year ago. And maybe it's just as simple as this, is if there was ever any kind of concern that you were, you know, uh, uh, you know, going to have the Burton situation used against you in 2021, there is no more using of the situation uh, against Georgia now. They have now won back-to-back national championships. And the one thing that was true in 2021 that's been made obviously true now in 2022 is that the offense is just as much a part of the success story as the defense is. And throwing the football and catching the football has become a big part of what Georgia does really well to the tune of a guy like Brock Bowers who almost became a 1,000-yard receiver this year. A guy like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lyle McConkey who nearly matched 800 yards receiving this year. You know, this, so, you know, whatever Mitchell's uh, decision to go to Texas means for him personally, I don't think there's any evidence at all this means anything for Georgia one way or another. I really don't – I mean, I, I know plenty of Georgia fans are a little bit bothered by this Mitchell situation, but I haven't heard anybody yet say that Mitchell leaving makes, you know, Georgia's offense hamstrung for next year, that it debilitates Georgia's ability to put a strong offense on the field because I think year after year after year of production says that, that Georgia has seemed to be able to figure out a way no matter what – and the uh, absence of A.D. Mitchell, I don't think, changes that, especially since Georgia played so much of this 2021 season without him anyway. So Mitchell's going to Texas. Ultimately, you know, this creates for some, with me, some frustration about the current system, especially the idea of the tampering and things like that. But in terms of this somehow being used negatively against Georgia, the way that maybe there were some concerns the Burton thing could have been a year ago, uh, I just don't think that's out there right now at all. Uh, just simply because Georgia's just proven to be too good. And with Mitchell not here in 2023, I think the thought is that Georgia will still be very, very good. Let me move on to something else. And this is interesting to me because it's a team that Georgia plays in 2023, but it's also interesting to me for how it impacts a Georgia rival too. We would have talked about this on Friday and I've been fully healthy. Have y'all seen what Ole Miss has done? Ole Miss has hoarded some quarterbacks. 
So they already had Jackson Dart. That's the guy that transferred in USC from a year ago. Uh, you know, then they bring in Walker Howard, the uh, the young guy from uh, LSU. And then on top of that, Spencer Sanders, the former Oklahoma State quarterback, he's transferring in as well. And this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Let me start with this. First of all, Ole Miss plays Georgia this year. Uh, so when you're starting to think about, okay, well, which games for Georgia have any ability to be a challenge whatsoever? I saw where Bill Conley the other day, the uh, ESPN numbers guru, says that uh, that Georgia only has one game in 2023 where they have less than a 90% chance of winning. And I'm assuming that's at Tennessee. I didn't see for sure. I'm assuming that's the case. I saw where uh, Brad Powers, who's probably the best college football gambling guy out there, I would say. He's probably pretty close to the the market leader on that kind of stuff. He's got Georgia projected right now at 11.54 wins for next season. He says he's never had a projected win total higher than this. Uh, he says his average point spread for Georgia is 33 points uh, next season. So that gives you an idea of how dominant Georgia is expected to be compared to its 2023 schedule. And so you're left to wonder which games are interesting at all. Well, I think the presence of now three quarterbacks on the Ole Miss roster like this make the Ole Miss game for Georgia at least slightly more interesting, and I'll tell you why. To me, this clearly speaks to Ole Miss seeking an upgrade, that while it may look like they've got three quarterbacks, the truth is I don't think you bring in Howard and Sanders if you're fully happy with Dart. And if you really look at it, Jackson Dart did not have a great year for Ole Miss this past year. Uh, Ole Miss probably ran the ball more than you realize, um, and, and, and Dart's numbers weren't kind of amazing the way that you kind of think of a Lane Kiffin-style quarterback sort of being. So you bring in, I think, you know, uh, Howard and Sanders because you're looking for an upgrade over Dart, and if Lane Kiffin gets an upgraded quarterback over what he had in 2022, then maybe make, that makes Ole Miss a little bit more competitive in 2023. So from that standpoint, it's kind of interesting. It's not like Spencer Sanders was a world beater necessarily at Oklahoma State, but he's not an incapable quarterback. He's got some experience, and he'll be working with, you know, a pretty sharp offensive mind in Lane Kiffin. So this could be interesting. But here's the thing about this that's really interesting to me, is that if Spencer Sanders didn't go to Ole Miss, I guess I was under the assumption he was going to Auburn. Now, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I'm just saying that because uh, Auburn seemingly needed a quarterback and Sanders was sort of out there, and Auburn sort of missed out on all these other guys. You know, like uh, 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 Grayson McCall ended up not leaving uh, uh Coastal Carolina, Devin Leary ended up going to Kentucky, uh, that that Auburn ended up just sort of swinging and missing on the other transfer quarterbacks. I guess I sort of assumed that the last guy out there was Sanders, that he might just sort of land at Auburn, but ultimately he ends up going to Ole Miss instead of going to Auburn. So not only does this give Auburn kind of, I should say Ole Miss, kind of a three-headed monster in this quarterback competition here right now, this really leaves Auburn without that, by appearances anyway, that sort of transfer quarterback savior. Now, there is another transfer window, but it's not until May. It's post-spring practice here. So to me, this looks like a little bit of a loss for Hugh Freeze. This transfer portal window for him in his first year as Auburn coach for a guy that has a history of kind of you know making quarterbacks. Look what he did for Malik Bryant, uh, you know, Malik Willis, um, you know there there at Liberty. You know, kind of looked at how, what what he kind of did for his draft status and things like that. This opportunity here for 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 Freeze to really land that quarterback to begin his tenure there at Auburn. He didn't get it. He kind of fails on this. 
And that failure was delivered to him, it would seem, at the hands of Lane Kiffin. So a little bit of interesting juice here back and forth between Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, Hugh Freeze, the former Ole Miss coach now at Auburn, as uh, Freeze's tenure gets going there at Auburn. That's kind of an interesting story. So pay close attention to that. I'll also mention this. Uh, Kamani McClain, you may remember, uh, you know, made some news there on the start of the early signing period. He has now officially landed at Colorado. So uh, Deion Sanders gets a big win there with McClain, who at one point in time we talked about you know, on a number of fronts here in the SEC, Florida, whatnot, <coughs> Miami, he ends up going to Colorado. So Deion Sanders gets himself kind of a big name there. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, let's talk some UJ recruiting here just for a moment, because a lot of you may be aware that we are getting down to the end of the 2023 recruiting cycle. And there's some reporting out there on the internet that Georgia is expected to do some in-home visiting this week, maybe even as soon as today, with five-star tight end Deuce Robinson. And one of y'all shared this with me, and I'm sorry I don't give full credit here because I don't remember who sent this to me, but I thought this was really interesting. So the other day, um, Kirby Smart uh, was on the podcast that Ernie Johnson, who's obviously a big Georgia guy, and uh, Charles Barkley, I guess they do together. And they're talking about a number of things. And, and Kirby actually kind of got into like the – the, the speech thing that got shared around the national championship of his fiery rant that he made it clear once and for all was not prior to the TCU game, and some folks kind of thought that was going to be interesting. But some other Georgia fans kind of pointed out here both an interesting tie that Georgia apparently has with Deuce Robinson, but also a very funny remark by Charles Barkley about the idea that Georgia's going after another elite tight end. So in light of the Deuce Robinson situation kind of being that final big name out there for Georgia in the class of 2023, I thought you might enjoy Kirby interacting with Ernie Johnson, uh, Charles Barkley from TNT around a number of topics, including Kirby now being old enough to sort of see some of the guys that he used to coach also now have sons who are maybe potentially players of his there as well. This is good stuff from Kirby. Uh, take a listen to this. When I get those text messages from those young men that, that I coach, I mean, I'm starting to come across, uh, you know, Antonio Cromartie, who I coached at FSU, is a great corner in the NFL. His son is coming out now, and it's just uh, Dominic Robinson, a, a guy that I coached at FSU. His son is one of the number one tight ends in the country and great baseball player and recruiting them. When you come across these guys you coached early in your career, it, it, it's pretty cool, especially, you know, being 40, 46, 47 years old. Well, first of all, I don't think you need any more tight ends. I think you're good, okay? <laughs> I think you're good on the tight end front. Yeah. First of all, I think that's very funny that Charles Barkley's like, listen, I saw you on the national championship. Y'all don't need more tight ends. Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, the idea there could be more of those big names on the way. If you're an Auburn guy like Chuck or something like that, you're probably not super happy about that. But we already know that Oscar Delp is here. He is in the fold, and he will be on the field in a much bigger way uh, coming up very soon. And uh, who knows, maybe Deuce Robinson there as well. I would obviously stay close to a Jeff Centel in Dog Nation of the days to come as George, I guess, gets ready to do battle with, you know, was it USC maybe still here in the mix for a Robinson there a little bit. But interesting to hear from Kirby, you know. Uh, you know, coached his dad when he's at Florida State, that longtime connection. And all of a sudden, Kirby's now been around the block enough times where uh, some of these guys that uh, he used to coach now have sons. He says, listen, I'm still only 46, 47 years old now. Uh, Kirby's not an old man by any account, but uh, been around long enough to have some of that kind of uh, come back around. So Georgia got deep ties with Deuce Robinson, and we'll see if they're able to use that to their advantage as they try to close with him ahead of the official conclusion of the 2023 uh, recruiting cycle at the uh, beginning of February. 
right, it's good to be back with you here again today, uh, back doing our show after a a little bit of a hiatus on Friday. We had to do the show from home, which I never really like to do because it never quite goes the way it's supposed to. Um, also, uh, our buddy, uh, I'll give a golden shoe out here to uh, Frankie Fibonacci, who shared this with us. So, first of all, very nice. He says this. He says, big concern for Dog Nation this weekend is the health of our leader, Dog Nation Daily. If you caught Friday's episode, he was definitely stepping up and being a DGD. Get well, BA. First of all, I'm glad to know I crossed the DGD threshold for Frankie here. But then he shares this picture. Look at me in the center of this picture. How bad do I look right here? I mean, first of all, I don't have a great listening face anyway. We've talked about this before. My sick face may be even worse than that. I mean, some of what y'all were saying about me in the comment section uh, this past weekend was tough. He also has the lower third there that says huge concern over BA's health. And he's got the prices right. Is that uh, the, the premium crackers? And so is it like, is it the ginger ale and the crackers you eat for your, when you're sick and the price is right? It's what you watch when you stay home. Is that what that's about? I'm sure that's the case there. So Frankie, will give you a very well-earned golden shoe for that. We'll also remind those lousy stinking gators that George is going to be back in Jacksonville uh, coming up 278 days from right now. And that is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you tomorrow right back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.